If you have ever felt like decluttering or moving to a more minimalist lifestyle is an uphill road, maybe you feel like you're on a solo mission and the rest of the family is not quite on board, then today I want to talk about seven ways that you can start right now not only decluttering and simplifying your space, but getting everybody else on board with you. I am not one for persistent purging battles, and so let's create a culture of minimalism in our homes starting now. Welcome to the Simple is the New Smart podcast. I'm Zara Fagan, PhD, author of Minimalist Homeschooling and the creator of the Simple is the New Smart membership. And this is the place where we talk about how less really is more and how simple really is the new smart. This is the place for any homeschooler who wants to trade stress, exhaustion, overwhelm, and self-doubt for peace, clarity, confidence, and a sense of true abundance. It turns out that transforming our mindset really can transform our homeschools and our lives. We'll talk tips and strategies, stories and perspective, and interview people who have lessons to teach us. And I am just so happy that you're here. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hello, and welcome back to the Simple as the New Smart podcast. I'm here today because minimalism with kids is totally different from minimalism as a single person living in your own space. Am I right? For that matter, minimalism with a spouse is a different experience too. So the questions that consistently come up are, how can I be minimalist with kids? Or I hear, I'd like to be more minimal, but my family is just not on board. So while the straightforward advice to purge and to keep things simple works for many, it may feel nearly impossible for families housing multiple ages and multiple personalities under one roof. So today, I want to dive into how we can, in fact, purge and keep it simple. But more importantly, I want to talk about how to develop a culture of minimalism that the whole family can identify with. I want to talk about respecting others. I want to talk about gradually bringing everyone on board. I want to talk about a gentle process that really changes our lifestyle. It's not just a one and done, purge it, and then never think about it again and assume all of your problems are over. Instead, today we're going to really talk about a minimalist culture in our homes with our families. So I have seven points to make today. I want you to stick with me for all of them because regardless of where you are on your minimalism journey, you're going to find what resonates with you and where you can make improvements. And we will go from there. So let's get started. Number one, I have to start with this is a values thing. I want you to remember throughout this whole process that this is a values thing. What you and I find valuable may differ from what others find valuable, even in our own family. Therefore, if it's important to us, it has to be okay for it just to be important to us. And I see this a lot. We cannot expect others to see the same value. We can, however, ask others to respect what we value and we can compromise so that our values are met in some way so that they feel respected, so that they feel honored. We can set boundaries. However, if others are not yet seeing the value, we have to accept that and be grateful simply for compromise and respect. 
So here's what I'm saying. It may be very valuable. This is the most common situation I see. It may be very valuable to me to live in a decluttered space, but it may have little or zero value to my children or my spouse for our space to be decluttered. And rather than stomping around being incredibly resentful about why they don't care, it's important for me to accept that this is something that is simply of value to me. And what I'm asking for them is not for them to value it also, because that's going to be incredibly frustrating because they don't value it. Instead, I'm asking them to respect what is important to me. I'm asking them to accept that this is a value to me. And I'm asking for a compromise so that all of the material items that are theoretically of value to them can somehow live in peace with my value of having a decluttered space. Do you see where I'm going here? We're looking for compromise where we are respecting that material things may be of value to them, but lack of clutter is also of value to me. So we need to find a place of compromise rather than trying to force our family to understand that a decluttered space is valuable because we may never actually get to that point, but we may, and I'll get into that. So what people choose to keep or not is a values issue as well. That is, our children may value their rock collection above some beautiful keepsake that grandma gave them. And we have to find a way to respect that and compromise for those situations as well. There is simply no way to impose our values on others. There's no way to force others to value what we do or to change someone else's values to match our own. Therefore, it is up to each of us to do the work to accomplish what we individually find valuable. So do you hear what I'm saying? If purging is of value to us, we can't walk around angry with others for not purging when it's of no value to them. It may be really tough to hear, but it has to be said and it has to be said from the start. Similarly, if we're asking our children to choose what is important to them, we cannot judge their value system either. The hope is that through gradual change, others will begin to see the value that we each see. By living in a less cluttered space, the idea is that hopefully others in the home will start to see the value of a less cluttered space. Similarly, that big collection that somebody else in your home has, maybe if they're willing to compromise and relieve the home of some of the excess or some of the less valuable, then we may actually begin to see the beauty and the meaning in what they value as well. But bringing others on board is a long-term game. In this episode, we are talking specifically about boundaries, requests we can make, specific actions that we can take, even when our family's not on board, because today our goal is to create a culture of minimalism, a lifestyle that is focused on less stuff rather than a one and done purge where oftentimes it's a battle. We don't want a battle, right? And we certainly don't want to keep repeating that battle every day, every week, every month, every year that we suddenly get overwhelmed with all the clutter and then we feel like we have to fight to get our space back. We don't want those battles. So let's view this as a long-term game. So along those lines, number two, this is the Golden Gate Bridge. I'm not sure if you've seen all the declutter in 30 days or declutter and love your life types of courses and programs or a multitude of things out there that promise to you that you can just purge all your stuff immediately and everyone will go on to live happily ever after. 
And whether or not you've heard of these programs, subscribed to these programs, invested in these programs, my point is this, decluttering, especially with children at home, in my experience, is a long game right? So yes, I have done the massive purchase. The issue here is that you continue to live with these people. You are going to continue to live with these people for many years to come. So the goal of what we're talking about this month is how to create a lifestyle that is less cluttered, how to start this process, how to get everyone on board, how to end the battles. Like I said earlier, if you are persistent, then ideally others in your home will begin to see the benefits of a less cluttered and simpler life. Eventually, they will see the value. And I say this from personal experience. So I want you to know that there is hope. I am married to a wonderful man who likes to keep things. He has a strong attachment to his family's history. His mother passed when he was in his 20s and he's the baby in a family of seven children. So with no judgment whatsoever, I say that he likes to keep things. He likes to keep all the hand-me-downs from his family just in case. He likes to keep family heirlooms, the older the better. He likes to keep sentimental items. The reasons he keeps items actually make him a wonderful person and I don't want to change those values. However, this was perfectly fine when it was just the two of us in our home, right? But when we fast forward 10 years and three children into our marriage, I struggled with the clutter. I was functioning subpar because we had too much stuff. And so I had to convey that this was just something that was important to me. It was not a value judgment against the things that he had chosen to collect. It was, I need this. And I'm asking you to respect this for me. And I'm asking for us to come up with some boundaries. And so after spending many months purging and decluttering things that were not his, my husband left me a note saying how much he liked, quote, the Fagan pitch fest. Now he's the lead purger in our home in many ways. And not because he's changed his value of heirlooms or anything like that, but because we have undergone a lifestyle change and a culture of minimalism. And I tell you this story because it illustrates that this change in perspective did not come from my nagging, my pressuring, my presenting evidence, my guilting. I'm pretty sure there were times when I literally stomped my feet and threw temper tantrums because I was so overwhelmed. But that's not what changed his perspective. It actually came from him living in a less cluttered and simpler home because I took the initiative with my own things and things that didn't belong to him, and he then saw the benefits firsthand. He now wanted to be spending his time and space enjoying children, coaching children, and not keeping stuff just in case. So he underwent a value switch where he said, I would rather spend my time running to the hardware store to get the right size screw when I need it than keep all these screws of different sizes and styles in the basement and spending my time searching for the right one when meanwhile my children could be using that space in the basement for roller skating and for crafts and for building things, right? So his value system changed because he started to see the benefit of other things over having stuff, in his case, just just in case. But I want to make the point that this took time. It was months maybe a year or more before my husband got on board, but it didn't matter because I was still making progress in the meantime. And so can you. So even if others are not on board, I want to encourage you that you can continue to make progress. And not only will it matter to you, but it will also help institute this culture 
of minimalism. So the second rule for this month is don't expect to be done in a month or two. Don't expect to be done ever, really. But do expect to get to a much better place. Be happy with progress. Allow the members of your family to grow into this perspective at their own pace. Along with this goes number three, which is outline why you want to declutter and what. It's great to say, I'm just purging for the sense of purging, but usually there is a larger motivation here, often one that centers around freedom. I have a worksheet available at zaraphd.com forward slash get started. That's all one word, get started. And there are several worksheets and a cheat sheet associated with this podcast. And it starts with asking why you want to declutter. And this is really important. I ask this question because decluttering can feel slow and hopeless at times. It can feel like you're just treading water and not making much progress, especially when it is a solo endeavor and the rest of the family is not on board. So what will be the benefits of less clutter? How can you measure your progress and what will make you feel successful? These last two questions are key as well because the standard by which you are measuring your success matters. If your goal is to spend less time cleaning, then time yourself cleaning the rooms now before you purge anymore and then retime yourself after you've purged a bit. If your goal is to have more space, then ask yourself how much more space, how am I going to accomplish having more space? How will having less stuff create more space? Be really specific because the specifics are important. Otherwise, decluttering can become a moving target. You never reach the point of being satisfied. I'm not saying that you can't set new goals and get closer and closer to your ideal. In fact, I'm saying that's exactly what you will do. I want you to set a series of small goals. So I want you to see your progress. And I'm saying that minimalism as a mindset can turn negative if we're not careful. So just in case you are anything like me, Don't let minimalism become another outlet for perfectionism or control. You're not doing this so that you can feel like you have ultimate control over your space. You're doing this for some sense of freedom, ideally, and you want to set tangible goals along those lines now so that you can see your progress, so that you can feel successful, and so that you can remember why you're doing this and therefore approach it in a meaningful way. Number four, I already alluded to this, but start with you. Start with your stuff. Don't even worry about anyone else's stuff until you have totally and completely purged and minimized everything of your own. Unless somebody asks for your help, because you may have noticed this. When I go into my room and I do sort of an overhaul of my bedroom, a reset of my bedroom, and I make it all look the way I'd like it to look when I clean out my closet and I set everything up very nicely and in an organized way, a lot of times my children will come into the space and they'll sort of lay on the bed and sort of bask in this pleasure of a clean and decluttered space. And that's the moment when I can say, would you like me to help you with your room? Or that's when they will literally ask, can you do this to my room? And my children have done that. So there is hope where they look at my closet and they say, mom, can you do this to my closet? Mom, can you help me organize my room or my space? So with this theory of starting with yourself, will this bring purging the playroom to a standing halt? And the answer is yes, it probably will. It did for me anyway. Here's the thing. We often start with our children's things because it feels easier. It's easier for us to judge that someone else's things, things that we have outgrown ourselves or that we don't see the value in are or are not of value. We can judge their things 
much easier than we can judge our own things. Our children are small. We believe that we have the quote unquote authority with their items. However, if your children are over the age of two, please do not purge their items before you've purged your own. And I have two reasons for this. First, you can set an example and you set the tone. Do what I say and not what I do doesn't work well for children, you know? Second, once you have had to make your own tough decisions about what stays and what goes, then you'll be better able to navigate the emotions that come with purging for your children. You may be more sympathetic about what matters to them. After all, you may have kept that nonsense thing from senior year, right? Do you see what I'm saying? Set the example and live the experience first. A lot of times this will not only bring our children and perhaps our spouse on board, but it definitely makes us more capable at guiding others through the process as well. Number four, stop bringing things in. You may not be able to touch or declutter other people's things just yet, but while you're working on your own, you can set limits about what comes into the house. This is where boundaries start. Try to get everyone on the same page about bringing new items into the house and you can set a rule, right? So some rules that work well are nothing new is coming in that's non-essential except for holidays or birthdays. There's a really popular rule of one thing in, one thing out, or if you're already really out of space, you can say one thing in, two things out, right? You can challenge yourself to buy nothing non-essential for some period of time. Like we just got a whole lot of goodies because of the holidays and because of Christmas. So now let's not bring anything non-essential in for the whole month of January or see how long we can go with not buying any more stuff. Again, you're going to want to identify the benefits of these boundaries. Boundaries. Not only will you have less clutter and therefore less cleaning, more space, but you'll also save money, right? And you can consider treating yourselves to a fun experience as a family at the end of your challenge not to buy. So for example, you can say, you know what, we're not going to buy any just because things, but on the last Saturday of every month, we're going to go do something fun. We're going to go to the batting cages or the go-karts or the arcade. We're going to take a picnic to the playground. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't even have to cost you any money, but you can start treating yourselves with experiences instead of stuff. And this goes with my next point. Number five is change your focus to connection. So hear me out on this because this really is a minimalism culture that I'm going to start talking about now. We start replacing things with time and connection. This is sort of living intentionally and and this whole movement to really reinstate connection in our homes and in our lives. So we are going to start replacing things with time and connection. So most children would choose time with their friends or time with their parents over toys. That's human nature. And I'm not talking here about video games. They're another story. They hijack human nature to a certain extent. Just stick with me without considering that outlier data point. I'm not going to get into the debate over video games right now. Children will prefer playing with people over playing with toys most of the time. A lot of introverted children still need time on their own independently without other people. But in general, children seem to go and go and go when they have someone to play with. So the more we can start playing with our children now or giving them experiences now, focusing on time and connection, the less dependent on things to entertain them 
they will gradually become. Therefore, over time, the less obsessed children are with getting more and more and more new things to fill that sort of fun void. They're looking for ways to entertain themselves, right? And oftentimes, toys are the answer to that. So the argument can be made that toys are a shortcut to fun. We try to make fun easier for our kids by giving them toys. And when one toy fails to do the trick, we get them a new toy, right? As a result, our children gradually lose their abilities to imagine and create games and fun for themselves. The book Simplicity Parenting by Kim John Payne makes this point extensively. It's a great read. Our reliance on toys to entertain our children leads to children who rely on toys to entertain them. And it's a vicious cycle that we have to be intentional about breaking a little bit. We have to teach our children a new way of living before we take away the toys that we've been relying on to entertain them. If we've been relying on toys up until now to fill that fun void for our children, when we take them away, all that they're going to be left with is a void. And that's kind of cruel. So by shifting the focus now to time and connection and experiences, then when we take away some of the toys, there is no void of entertainment for them. So the more we can model playtime that doesn't revolve around a brand new toy, maybe we stick with tried and true old favorites. Maybe we turn something ordinary into something new. The more we can do those sorts of things and model those things first, the more our children learn to truly play independently, to truly use their own imagination, to truly use their own creativity. And the example I have for that is this. We travel to Florida every winter for an extended period of time, and I do not bring a bunch of toys with us. I really don't. This year, my children each have a couple of things that they pick out that are their favorites. They have sketchbooks and we have crayons and things like that. And I personally packed a nativity set, and it's a nativity set that's painted on building blocks. So they're not shaped like people, but they have people painted on them. My kids will use those building blocks in all sorts of ways while we are vacationing. They will use the people as people. They will use it as a nativity. They will pretend the people are other kinds of people and that the animals are other kind of animals. They will also take dishes out of the kitchen. And the next thing I know, they're throwing blocks into their bowls and into their pots. And they're using their wooden spoon to pretend that these blocks are potatoes, right? They will even if they don't have all the things, all the different kinds of toys, they will find a way to pretend that what they have is what they need. By taking away some of the toys, we are giving them an opportunity to play more independently, more imaginatively, more creatively. And again, the book Simplicity Parenting goes into that. But my point right now is that we can't take away the toys without first giving them that toolbox. So our first job before we start purging is that we can start focusing on imagination. We can start focusing on experiences. We can start focusing on people and connections before we take away any of their toys. So I know that it takes time to play with our kids. It may be time that you don't feel like you have, but getting intentional about playing with our children before we start purging their toys is important and it's worth it. So call it special time. Give just 20 minutes. It's an investment. It'll pay off in great memories and this new lifestyle that you're craving. You can also get more intentional about play dates with other children and quality time as a family. Another suggestion is to do the messy things with them. Try the craft alongside them. Replace 
having stuff with doing stuff. And the more you can model that with them, the better the transition is going to be. That way, when it's time to ask about the material objects, your child's mindset will have already shifted a bit to craving connection rather than craving more and more and more passive entertainment that never really satisfies completely. I want to make the distinction here between the tried and true toys that really do last and hold our children's attention and that they really love from the toys that play a more transient role in our children's lives and in their days. They may love it when they first get it, but after a couple weeks, they really don't have much interest in it and they're not going to it. So there is a distinction here between the go-to toys and those transient toys when we're having this conversation about shifting our child's focus from toys to connection. I'm really referring to those sort of transient toys. We're trying to get away from the materialism of buying more and more and more and more of these sort of transient toys and keeping only those items that actually do fulfill our children's needs to play. Also, when you get to the point of purging their stuff, if you've been focusing more and more on connection, it will be easier to identify which toys really are a value to them. When you were going through this period of focusing more on connection, which toys did they reliably go back to and which toys sort of fell by the wayside? It will give you a lot of insight when it's time to purge about what is really important to your children, right? Purging is just as much about how we spend our time as how we spend our money. If our kids are spending time with tons of toys or they are spending time with toys, then we're not going to take them away. If our children, however, are spending time doing other things and not with toys, then it makes sense to start purging the toys. Do you see where I'm going with this? If we want our children to be ready to purge, we have to give them a desirable alternative. Connection and creativity provide that alternative. So start now, give it value, then purging the material stuff becomes easier. And this is also the reason that there is no dogmatic rule about how many toys each child should have. I think there's a threshold for each child and each family about how much time they are spending with toys, how much time they are spending in connection. And we have to find that threshold for each of our families and for each of our children. The bonus to shifting towards more connection, a more quality time, more experiences is that we are subtly teaching something that kids instinctively know, but that toy manufacturers successfully overshadow. We are reminding them that people are more valuable and more interesting than things. And I think it's too easy in our culture to lose sight of that. And I think there are a lot of marketers who would like us all to forget that people are more valuable and interesting than all the things. So number six is set some boundaries. I already alluded to this with the limiting what comes into your house, but there are a lot of other sort of boundaries that we can create now before we even purge anything. And it's great if you can set these boundaries for your public spaces so that you, if you are looking for a simpler space, benefit from this. You can have a win-win without any purging, no battles necessary, right? For example, you can set a rule that maybe the surfaces have to be clear except for a few specific items. Maybe from now on, dresser tops need to be clear except for, you know, three treasures. Maybe the floors need to be clear each morning before you get started. Maybe every night everyone has to go room to room cleaning up their belongings, right? You give everyone a bucket, you give everyone their own bin. They have to go into every room, collect all the things that belong to them that are in the wrong place, and they need to go put them away where they belong. Whatever it is that you could see most benefiting your family, 
is what you're going to choose. You can have ones about when you come into the house from the car, you have to bring all of your stuff from the car with you and put it away. That's a big one in our home because my kids like to take things with us when we go out places and then they just leave it in the car. And after a while, what happens? It gets stepped on, it gets thrown around the car and it's just a big mess. You can say when you come into the house, you need to hang up your bag, you need to hang up your coat, you need to put your shoes away, you need to put your stuff away. But choose one reasonable boundary at a time. Something that will be impactful for you, something that everybody can live with, but just choose one because you're going to want to enforce it. You want to be consistent. Then you can add more boundaries, right? This is about creating habits. You get one, you make sure it's happening, you make it a habit, take two to four weeks to make sure it's a consistent habit, then you add something new. You're going to want to explain the value of the boundary to you. What value does it have to you? So that even if your family doesn't share your perspective, even if they don't think this is at all important or worthwhile of their time and energy, you're asking them to respect it. You're appreciative. You're thankful. This is important to me. Thank you. This is important to me. So thank you. I appreciate it. And don't forget to set an example with your own space first, right? If you're getting a bucket or a bin with everybody's name on it, that they have to clean up all their stuff at the end of the night, then you better expect that you are also going to have a bucket or bin with your name on it. And you are going to clean up all of your stuff at the end of the night also. The point of these sorts of boundaries is for others to come to the conclusion on their own that more stuff takes up more time and space and energy. Suddenly, when people have to pick up their things consistently or find places to put them, they realize that life comes with some constraints. That is, we don't have an infinite amount of time or space. And as a result, we start making better decisions about how we use our resources. So your boundaries are one step to getting people on board while also improving the environment where you all live. This is also a way to get them on board with enjoying a less cluttered space. Once people start living in a simpler, streamlined, less cluttered space, a lot of times they prefer it. So once they experience it, they're more likely to be on board with maintaining it. Number seven, and my final point is to educate yourself to read the books, to get the help, to get the resources. So I have taught, spoken, blogged, posted on social media about this, but it's worth repeating. When we want to make a successful change, there are five important steps. The first one is believing you can make the change. Number two is valuing the change. Number three is knowledge. Before you take any action, the step you need to have is educating yourself, having knowledge about how to do it, why to do it, where to do it, when, you know, all of those. And so I have worksheets, like I said, a bundle included in the get started portion of my website at zaraphd.com forward slash get started. And there are a couple worksheets there that offer you a chance to explore your beliefs and the value of decluttering, my guess is that you've already spent some time evaluating the value of a more minimalist home with kids. And right now you're actually on the third step. It's great to get clear on those first two steps first, but right now you are at the point of knowledge of educating yourself. This is the step before taking action. So I recommend that before you start taking action, you completely educate yourself on this topic of minimalism. So I have also a really impactful and handy cheat sheet about what I've talked about today, included with those worksheets in that bundle. If you'd like to know more about this topic, I want to recommend the book Clutter Free with Kids by Joshua Becker. It's a really easy read. It's full of practical advice. I actually, inside the Simple as a New Smart membership in our vault of mini tutorials, I actually have a book club 
packet there if you were to read the book by yourself or with friends and you really want to dig into it and ask some thought-provoking questions If you do it with friends, you can get some accountability. I really recommend that book. And I have the book club notes there inside the membership. Also, I have an exclusive podcast inside the membership as well about taking action with your kids when it's time to declutter and purge. What's the step-by-step for that? How does that actually look? And so another book that you could read is Simplicity Parenting. And that one is all about the mindset behind it, the research that's involved that convinces us that less really is more. So I want to encourage you to educate yourself on how minimalism really works with our families, not just that you want to start marching through your house with a garbage bag and pitching things, right? Because that's a short-term improvement. Stuff will still keep coming into your house. You will still keep fighting with your family about the stuff coming into your house. And we really want to instead get everybody on board with this idea that we already live with plenty and that more is not better, right? That more means more time, more cleaning, more energy, more clutter, more more space, more is not better. And so if you are looking to really make the change, then I would encourage you to continue to educate yourself and then go ahead and take some action. I Like I said, I have an action-packed podcast available to members inside the Simple as a New Smart membership, and I have already given you several actions to take today. So go ahead and download the bundle with the worksheets and the cheat sheet. And so until the next episode, I am wishing you all the simple things. Have a great one. Bye-bye. If you are looking for resources to add more simplicity, focus, and value to your days and to your homeschool, I hope that you'll go to zaraphd.com where you will find not only all of the podcasts and all of the videos and all of the blogs that I've created for you, but you will also find free printables that you can download now to start making progress today. Those are at zaraphd.com forward slash get started. I'll see you there.